needs to be rewritten because it doesn't. Uh, we were doing that to try to make God's word our own. And for us, I don't know, you, you know, when you make something your own, it's then something that you find easier, at least for me, to apply to my life, right? Uh, we were singing that song, God has never let me down. I love that song. That is an incredible song. He's never let me down. Yesterday, Susan and I went for a drive. We went up into the mountains. We went to Polite Canyon. And when we were, we were going uphill and uphill and uphill, and the snow was getting deeper and deeper, and I was thinking to myself, I could get stuck up here. And my wife was saying stuff like, is this really a good idea? Um, and... <laughs> And so I had a car behind me. And so when I got to the very top where we like to park, where we're going to go for a, a hike, I pulled in and I pushed a bunch of snow and I could feel my truck go up. And that's not a good thing um, because then when I started trying to go further, it wouldn't go anywhere. And so I was stuck. I just got high centered. You know, I drove up on a bunch of snow and I couldn't move my tires were off the ground. And so when I would try to move, you know, they would just spin. And so before I left, I felt like the Lord was saying to me, put a shovel in the back of your truck. So I did. I'd put a shovel in the back of my truck. And so I was out there digging the snow from under the truck. If you've ever done that, you go, you drive in, and now I've got snow on both sides of me. First thing I got to do is dig all the snow out around me before I can start digging under me because I can't get under. And so I'm digging under, and this, uh, these two ladies drove by, and they drove by me, and then they stopped, and they came over, and they said, could we pull you out? <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, the Lord had been working on me on some of these beatitudes. And so at first I would have said, oh, no, I'm fine. I'll get out. Um, I'll do it because having two ladies pull me out just didn't quite feel right. And so, I, but I said to them, okay, yeah, let's give it a try. And so they tried to pull me out. And they couldn't pull me out. They had a tow rope and all that. But all there, I had high-centered myself enough that I was off the ground. And all it did was spin their car, and that's all that happened. And so then, while I was digging myself out with my shovel, uh, my wife went for the hike that we were going to go on, and I stayed there and dug out. Um, but while I was digging out, I was just saying to this to myself, the Lord has never let me down. I'm here, but I'm not really stuck. He must have something for me to learn here while I'm digging my truck out. And so then this other car came by, and now this was, had guys in it, and they had a Jeep. And I felt better about this one. And so they, they said, can we pull you out? I was going, well, you can try. Uh, I said, some other people tried, and they couldn't. So they tried to pull me out, and they couldn't pull me out. And so they said, good luck to you, and off they went. And so then there was another car that came by. By this time, I was just about dug out. I had just about, Susan come back from her walk, <laughs> and um, she had been gone for about an hour, and I was just about done digging myself out. And then another guy came, comes by in a Jeep, and the steering wheel was on the other side of his car. And I was like, whoa, um, this is like being in Australia, you know, the car steering wheel's on the wrong side. And he said, are you guys okay? And I, I just dug out, and I said, yeah, I was fine. And then I did pull out, and then we went for our hike after that, um, two hours later. But I was thinking about this. He has never let me down. He hasn't. Right before I was going to go, um, I just... I hadn't put the shovel in my truck, and I was just about to leave, and, I, and the Lord just kind of pricked me like, maybe you better bring your shovel, because you're going to need this. And so, isn't he good? Isn't the Lord good? 
even though you're stuck someplace, you might be stuck someplace, he hasn't let you down. He's not done with you. And so these verses that we're going to look at today, the Beatitudes, they're about our attitudes, right? And they're about sometimes my attitude needs an adjustment. I don't know about you, um, but sometimes my attitudes are not quite what they could be. And so these Beatitudes, I think Jesus wrote these with the idea of us in mind. He had you in mind when he wrote these. He had me in mind when he wrote these. Because he, he knew that we were all going to experience things like, blessed are, it, so we start out with verse, so it says this, you can look at chapter 5, verse 1, and it says, and when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to open his mouth, teaching them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we, last week, we just, I'm just going to review the first four really quick. Now, we talked about blessed are the poor in spirit. And I was just sharing how we had been in Flagstaff, and I met a guy who, in church. Uh, and when he introduced himself, he just said, hi, I'm Kevin, and I'm homeless. And so, but he went up for prayer twice while I sat in my seat and didn't move. And we were talking about he was desperate for God. And that poor in spirit means are we desperate for God are we seeking him in a way where we are desperate for him and Kevin was because Kevin knew he had a need and me I was just sitting in my seat thinking I'm just fine and so we rewrote that and I'll just uh, read to you the way that um, I rewrote the Beatitudes because I just want you to see an example of what we did, if I can find it. Well, I, I don't know where it is, but it's, it said something like this. Blessed are those who are so desperate for God that he's the only thing that will do, that nothing else will satisfy. And when I thought of this guy, Kevin, that's what I was thinking of. This guy was desperate for God in a way that I was not. And I was thinking, I want to be like Kevin. So then the next one, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we talked about, actually I talked about Joe. And I talked about the fact that I, I, I've known Joe for a long time. And Joe lost um, his son and then his wife and his dog and his mom all in two years. And what Joe did with that is he uh, started a grief group and he started reaching out to other people because he knew what it was to mourn and he knew what it was to have grief. And so um, he went beyond his grief. And so he went to start comforting other people. And when you think about mourning, I can so relate to Rob and Shannon and their family. They just lost their dog. Um, for some people, that might not seem like a big deal. You lose your dog. Uh, to me, it seemed like a big deal. Um, because I have a dog, Toby, who's 11 years old and who has cancer. And he, we've had the cancer removed. And Toby is like my buddy. Uh, when I go for a morning prayer time, Tobe goes for a run with me. When I go fishing, Tobe goes fishing. He's such a good friend that when I'm sleeping on the beach with my rod and a pole holder, and I'm asleep on the beach and my rod's going like this, he comes over and paws on me like, Dad, time to get up. Something's happening here. And when I catch him, he jumps in the water and goes in and gets the fish. And then he comes and he gives them to me, and I unhook him, and if I'm going to keep him, I hand it to him, and Tobes eat just the head after that. <laughs> so he starts to clean the fish for me after that. Um, and so when I come and visit Rob and we pray, Tobes comes with me. Um, everywhere I go, Tobes goes there. So when they were talking about them losing their dog, I can relate. Uh, we had a doctor tell Susan and I that our dog was um, not long for the world 
and we mourned over that before he, he's still alive. So I can understand mourning. And so I wanted to read you something, though. Have you ever thought about Abraham? And Abraham was told that his son Joseph, isn't that every parent's worst fear, right? That something's happened to your child, right? And so turn in your Bibles to Genesis 37 and look at verses 33 through 35. And this is what it says. And then he, he examined it. He was examining Joseph's coat. He said, it's my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn into pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins, and he mourned for his son many days. Notice it says he mourned for his son many days. Then, then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. And so we talked about mourning, and we talked about the fact that mourning, um, in this verse, it is talking about that kind of mourning, when you lose something that's really valuable to you. But then it's talking about mourning in another way, when you mourn your own sinfulness. When you're, you mourn the fact that you have sin in your, in your life. Have you ever, guys, ever done that? You mourn over that? I don't know about you guys. I, I, we watched this thing on Ted Bundy, and it was um, hard to watch. Um, but at one point, they asked him if he could talk about the young girl that he killed who was only 12 years old that he kidnapped. And we were listening to James Dobson interviewed him. And as he was talking in the interview, he said, no, I can't talk about that one said, I, I can't talk about it. Um, and he was talking about looking at his own life and feeling like there was two people living his life. And that when he would wake up from killing someone, he would mourn over that because he, and I thought, oh, man, how would you like to mourn over that? Um, I have bad enough things in my life that I mourn over, but mourning over something like that would be terrible. But in scripture, Jesus is really talking to us about, do we mourn over our own lives, over the sin in our own lives? And I, I just shared that um, sometimes uh, when you know that you're doing something, like we were watching a movie with our grandchildren, and I knew I should have stopped it, and I said, I made a comment, this is the worst movie I ever saw, but I didn't stop it. And later, I mourned over that. I mourned over the fact I let my grandchildren see something that they shouldn't have been seeing. But it bothered me, and I literally kind of mourned over that. For over a couple of days, it kind of gnawed at me. And eventually, I apologized to one of my granddaughters, saying, you know, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have let you watch that. Uh, she was the one who checked it out, and so I, I was reluctant to stop them, but I didn't stop them anyway. So. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, how many of you guys have been comforted by God when you thought you could not be comforted by God? How many of you guys have done that? Where you've received his comfort and you thought you absolutely couldn't. God does comfort us, and he comforts us in ways that oftentimes it's through other believers. It was not a big deal to be stuck up on that mountain yesterday. My wife obviously wasn't very worried because she just went on a walk and said, good luck, and off she went. <laughs> no, <laughs> it wasn't quite like that, huh, Susan? <laughs> but, I mean, we only had one shovel, so she couldn't dig. And so, uh, but for all of us, all of us have things in our life that, come into our life uh, that God wants to work on and change. Then the next, the next beatitude uh, was one that was maybe 
um, one that's harder to understand. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. And so when I was reading that, uh, one thing I'd want to share with you guys is when you think about meek, what do you think about? And so, yeah, we, t- mm-hmm. we talked about how meek, meek is really, it's like strength under control is what Jesus is. And so when you think of Jesus, don't you think of meekness? And when I think of him, I think of that time on the cross. And so if you want to follow this, this is Matthew 27, uh, verse 29. It says this, After weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and a reed in his right hand. And they kneeled down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. Now, if that was me and I was him and I had that ability to do what he could do, right about then, I think I would have been, been saying this to myself. I've had about enough of this. And I think I would have called down a legion of angels and just wiped them out. But Jesus didn't do that, did he? No, because he had power, but his power was under control. Mine sometimes is not, but his always was. And when I think of meekness or gentleness, this is what I think of. And after they mocked him and took his robe off and put his garments on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they were coming out, they found a certain Cyrenian named Simon. This man they pressed into service to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, which means a place of the skull, they gave him wine to drink mingled with gall. And after taking it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots and sitting down. They began to keep watch over him there. And they put above his head the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who were passing by were hurling abuse at him and wagging their heads. Hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads, saying, this man is not who he said he is. How hard would that be to just sit up there when you have the power to not sit there? You have the power to not stay there and you just sit there and you absorb that, right? For me, I think of it as that is amazing that he could do that. Because just little things I have a problem with. Like on Thursday, did you guys enjoy Thursday's rain? <laughs> Thursday, it was pouring, wasn't it? And so uh, a friend that I have was having some problem with water coming in her front door. So I was over. Uh, getting some sandbags and filling them with sand, sand and then tying them up and it was raining and sleeting. It was just pouring. And I had two bags that I had filled up and tied and put right there and these people drive up right next to me and this guy gets out of his nice car and he's dressed, I'm, I'm dressed for rain. I got on my water clothes. He, this guy is not dressed for that. And he gets out of his car And he said, oh, can I just pick up these sandbags and put them in my car? I mean, it is, I'm getting, it's pouring and it's freezing. And this guy just wants to take a couple sandbags. And what do you think my natural inclination was? There's a shovel, there's the sand, go ahead and help yourself. I mean, that's what I wanted to say. But the fact that I was getting this message ready, uh, the Lord was saying to me, you know, are you my servant? Are you, are you mine? And I just looked at the guy and I go, yeah, go ahead, take him. And, and he started putting him in his car. And then he was going to go over and take this other guy's who had been bagging his. And the guy said, no, you have to bag your own. And, he, and I just looked at him and said, sorry, you know, I should have I told you. But I'm not like Jesus. I would have, you know, my tendency was to go, no, bag your own. Um, I'm having to bag mine. But Jesus, no, that was not him. 
that's our Lord. When you think of him, you go, that's our Lord. He loved us that much. And the only reason he didn't come down off that cross and take care of those guys was because of us. So, um, so then we did the one, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness sake, for they shall be satisfied. And we were talking about what that means. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness sake, for they shall be satisfied. And we said, there's a good, one, there's a good part to this one. Do you guys know the good part to this one? It doesn't say you have to have it. It said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for it. And I think that's awesome. So I just want to read you. You don't have to turn there. This is in 1 Kings chapter 8, and this is what it says. Um, well, I'll go up one verse. Since that day I brought my people Israel from Egypt, I did not choose a city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. Now, it was in the heart of David, my, in the heart of my father David, to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, because it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you, sh you shall not build the house. So we know that David wasn't allowed to build the house because he was a warrior. He was a guy who went out and killed people. And God said, no, you're not going to build my house. But you did well that it was in your heart. You did well that it was in your heart. Now, I don't know about you. That makes me feel good because I don't have to have righteousness. It, the desire for righteousness needs to be in me. But I have no righteousness of my own. None. Zero. Jesus, uh, well, it just says in Scripture that the best works that I do are as filthy rags before the Lord. My best my best stuff, that's what he says. Okay, so those were the four we went through last week. And now we'll go on and we'll go ahead and cover the other ones. The next one uh, said, says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, when you think of mercy, this one you're going to get to rewrite. I want you to rewrite this one on the back of your sheet when I'm done. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In Hebrew, the word is shesed. It means to get, the word merciful means to get right inside of somebody else's skin, to understand the way they think and the things they do, and to get right inside of them. And then you will understand mercy. So how many of you guys feel like mercy is something that comes easy for you? Some people it is. Some people just go, mercy is easy for me. Other people are like, mercy is not so easy for me. And so in, in the Hebrew, there's they look at it from this point of view. There's the peshat, there's, that's the literal meaning. And then there's the sod, that's the inner deeper meaning. Well, have you thought about the inner deeper meaning of this? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Um, could the inner meaning of this be this? That God cares so much for us that he sent his only son to come and live on this earth so that he would know what it was like to have people who are close to him desert him, so that he would know what it's like to have people who he came to save try to kill him, so that he would know what it was like to be me and you and more that he was so merciful that he sent his only son so that he could know what it was like to be us. That's an incredible thought. He want, 
the God of the universe wants to know what it's like to be you. The God of the universe wants to know what it's like to be you. And how many times have we done this? Nobody's felt exactly like I feel. No one knows how I'm feeling. Have you ever done that? No, you're wrong. He knows how you're feeling. He sent his only son, and he, you know how, when you, you ever had, you have your kids, I have five, and when you see them suffering, do you know that what that does to you? You suffer more. Um, when you watch them, and so when God sees you suffering, he suffers more. He suffers more. He knows how you feel. You haven't, none of us have been through one thing that he hasn't experienced through his son. And he sent his son so that he could know us. He sent his son so that he could know us. That is, that is an incredible thought. So if I rewrote this in my own words, I'm going to let you go ahead and rewrite this. Blessed are the merciful. Turn your sheet of paper over and rewrite it. Put it just in your own words. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then I'll, I'll share with you what I wrote. In James 2.13, it says, For judgment will be merciless to the one who shows no, no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So when I rewrote these in my words, this is what I wrote about this one. Blessed with great joy is the person who attempts to get right inside of other people until they see with their eyes and feel with their feelings. For if we can do that for others, we will know that is what God has done for us through his son Jesus Christ, and then we will be able to receive his mercy. Um, the next one is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That word in the Greek, katheros, um, when it was originally written um, in the Aramaic, it actually meant to take clothes that were dirty and just to wash them. And then it grew to when you have like wheat and you're sifting it, and when you're all done sifting it, what you're left with is just the wheat. And then it grew to this, that um, when you take something like milk or wine and you don't add any water to it, but it's in its purest form, then it's pure. Or if you have gold and you purify it and you take out all the other things and you have just gold, it's an element then, that, that it's pure. Now this one is a tough one, I think. Blessed are the pure in heart. Pure in heart. So think of someone in the Bible that you can think of that's pure in heart. This is the one I was thinking of. I was, I was thinking, you can, um, well, let's see. I'll see if I can, that was a different one. I was thinking of Moses. And this is in John chapter 3, verses 26 to 30. And listen to this with your heart. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is w with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have, you have borne witness, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear, the, bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have I've been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. Whoa. He, he was basically saying to his disciples, 
Jesus is going to become more, and I'm going to become less. Now, I, I would say that was a pretty pure heart, wouldn't you? That was a pure, pretty pure heart that then went to jail. And while he was in jail, he just sent messengers to Jesus and said, you are the one, right? And Jesus sent back a message and said, well, you see, tell them the people who are being healed and being touched. Now, John had a pure heart. Have, have you ever thought about for us, what is the application for that? How do we get a pure heart? Have you thought about how do I get my heart pure? And living in the world that we live in, have you thought about what that means? Um, to have a pure heart. With, sometimes we only see things that we have the ability to see, right? Uh, I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, but if I took you out fishing on my, I have a drift boat, and I like to go fishing, go drifting down rivers. And if I go drifting down a river, and if you were with me and we were fishing, I would say things like this to you. Well, you need to cast over there in a riffle. Well, unless you know what a riffle is, you don't know what that means. If, if I say to you, you need to cast in between the fast and slow water, you would go, I don't know what this guy's talking about. I don't see that. If I said, there's a structure over there and there's trout right near that structure, you'd, you'd go, it's under the water. How could I see that? I could tell because there's a hump in the water. And I know there's something under there causing that bump, right? In the same way, if I go to a ballet uh, show with my wife, these guys jump up in the air, and as far as I can tell, all they do is twinkle their toes. Um, and if, if you ask me what, what is that spin they're doing, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I'd ask her because Sue's could tell me. When they do a spin, it's called a... I don't know. I'm asking you. Pirouette. <laughs> I, I seriously don't know. Um, but here's what happens in the world. Um, a lot of times, we don't see things that are there. Have you ever had something happen where you knew it was God's hand in your life, but you didn't see it till later, right? Later, you go, he was there. And I could see he was there, but I never saw that before. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Have you ever been out in the wilderness with someone and you're trying to tell them that all of creation cries out of his handiwork, right? And you're trying to explain to them things like this, uh, that certain trees have powder on it, that if you have dry skin, you can rub your hands on that tree and then rub it into your skin and it'll be just like baby powder. But if you don't have eyes to see that or knowledge to see that, you won't even know it's there. When you go out in our forest, if you get stung by stinging nettles, you can go and take from a certain kind of plant. What kind of plant? a fern, the underside of a fern, and rub it on you, and those stinging nettles will stop burning. So there's all kinds of things that we don't even have eyes to see what God does in our life. And now let me tell you the sad part of this one. Um, why don't we? And I'll, and I'll tell you the sad part of this. Man has too many things out there that blocks our vision. And honestly, I don't know about you, but I can say this about myself. I see too many things out in the world that prevents me from seeing God in my life at the moment. And so we're letting the world we live in stop us from having a pure heart because we're letting the world we live in. So Jesus was so concerned about that, right? You know Jesus was concerned about this so concerned he said if that right eye cause you sin pluck it out and throw it from you for it's better that one part of your body should perish than your whole body go into the hell of fire whoa 
I don't see many people walking around with plucked out eyes, right? And, and he didn't really mean for us to do that. What he was saying to us is what you take in is so critical because then you're going to miss God. And you're going you're gonna to miss God altogether. In the thing that we heard from Ted Bundy, he was saying um, when Dobson interviewed him, it was the pornography and the drinking mixed together that led him over the edge. And in our world, our world is filled with, you know what, I'm, I, I will be doing preparation for a guy, um, I'll, I'll go online, I'm studying the Bible, and I'll be looking at William Barclay's commentary on Hebrews chapter 9, which is what we're doing for church. And on the side on pop-ups, all these advertisements will come up that I have to keep clicking off because that's why I can look at William Barclay's commentary for free because all these other advertisements are on the side of it. And so our world is constantly bombarding us with stuff that really um, the Lord doesn't want in our life. And we have to learn to recognize those things. Um, Have you thought about what's unpure in your own life? What does God want to remove from your own life? Because the first step to purity is repentance. I know, at least for me, I know that God will help me with something. First thing I have to do is repent from it. Turn away and go the other way and walk away from it. Repent. And so I wrote down some things because this one I think, guys, is really hard for me. I don't know about for you. Um, But this is what I wrote. And it was directed towards myself. I must strain and train my eyes to see God in the life around me and to make sure I don't take things in my eyes that will make my heart unpure. The creation of God is full of amazing things to look at and learn from that will help us develop me to develop a pure heart. I must be careful at what I let my eyes see that man has created. We can also, I can also fill my eyes with things that soil my own heart. And that's why um, I think it's really important for us to look at just ourself and go, what do I take in with my own eyes that I shouldn't be seeing? Because I want to be pure and I want to see God. You know, I want to see God. Don't you want to see God? He wants to show himself to us every day. I really believe that. Every day, he wants to show himself to us. But a lot of times, I don't have eyes to see him. So uh, for this one, go ahead and rewrite this one in your own words. And I'll just read you what I wrote for mine. Oh, the joy of the man whose motive is to please God with everything he does, who is all in for Jesus, for he will see God, God's hands all around him. Then the next one is, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God, peacemakers. Have you ever guys ever thought about what that word means to be a peacemaker? Um, In World War II, Switzerland did not get involved with the war. They were neutral. They didn't take a side. Do you guys know that in the Hebrew, they wouldn't call them, they wouldn't call those guys peacemakers. You know what they call those guys? Peace lovers. They're people who love peace, but peacemakers are the people who are willing to do something to make peace. And that means you have to be willing, you can't be afraid of conflict, right? Peace in, in the um, Hebrew is the word shalom, which means a blessing for you to be, have the highest, the best of what God has for you to be the best that you can be. And so you can't think of a peacemaker without thinking of Jesus, right? And yet when Jesus went into the temple, he turned over the tables 
he threw things around and yet and you can think of other things when Jesus said um, I didn't come to bring peace he was a peacemaker so a peacemaker what does a peacemaker actually do do you know what a peacemaker actually does it you a peacemaker is someone who's willing to talk to people and help people get connected to God that's what a peacemaker is a peace because you're making peace between man and God there is no higher form of peace than that there is no more important form of peace than making so what does that mean to us who were peacemakers how about the disciples were they peacemakers when Jesus left them he, he said to them well I'll read it to you um, he, he was he had a message for them and this is what he said this is in um, Matthew the last chapter and the last three verses and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I command you and lo I'm with you always even to the end of the age there is no greater form of peace than that because you are rest when you share your faith and if you lead someone to the Lord then they have a relationship with God and then they are saved from hell forever and that is peace that is being a peacemaker that's what being a peacemaker that's what Jesus meant blessed are the peacemakers for what yeah they shall inherit the earth blessed are the peacemakers for they shall inherit the earth God intends for us to be peacemakers just like the disciples and he wants us to share you know the other day I was out I'd been praying for my neighbor who lives across from me and um, I hadn't really had a chance to share the Lord with him and Susan and I had just been out for a walk and I had come back and my neighbors John and John uh, I he just drove in with his car I hadn't seen him for three months I saw his wife but not him and so I went over to talk to him and said John I haven't seen you for a long time and he's a real open guy and he said yeah I left my wife and he said I, I was gonna I was I'm gonna divorce her and I was like oh whoa and so he ended up sharing with me all the things that were going on but while I was out there with him I shared with him that God wants to heal your marriage and then him and I had a prayer time and after the prayer time he said maybe I won't divorce my wife and and so here's the thing we're meant to be peacemakers with people but we have to be praying with people we have to be connected to people we have to be looking to share his love with people and then we can become peacemakers and that's his intention for us guys his intention is that we not just go through this life and um, go through it and live and die that's not what he has for us he has for us we know the truth how can we not share the gospel with people if you have the truth if we have the truth we have to share it don't we I was reading about uh, the next one is uh, we're gonna get, talk about go ahead and rewrite this one blessed are the peacemakers rewrite that on your back and then we're gonna do the last one really quickly well maybe not so quickly I don't know one thing I'll share with you as you're rewriting that Abraham Lincoln once said um, die when I may I would like to it to be said of me that I always pulled up a weed and planted a flower where I thought it would grow so when I wrote that this this one I just wrote oh the joy of those who help others have right relationships with God for they shall be called sons of God then the last one and you know what this I'm just incorporating 8 9 and 10 because 
this has got to be the last one. Uh, Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a hard one, isn't it? Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then it goes on to say in the next two verses, Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, persecution. In the United States, do we have a lot of persecution for being believers? My answer to that is not yet. Uh, But it's coming. And you guys know who Joe Kennedy is? Joe Kennedy, a coach up in Bremerton, Washington. He was going out. He was coaching there for uh, since something like 2007. After the game, he would go out and take a knee and pray. At first, he was the only one. And then parents started joining him. And then team players started joining him. And then one person from one other, one other school district mentioned it to his district, and his district fired him. They told him he could not go out there and pray, and if he did, they would fire him. After the game, he went out and prayed, and they fired him. And now this may end up going to the Supreme Court. Uh, it might. Uh, but then as a result of him going out and praying, there were all these guys who were Satanists who were saying, well, we're going to go out and we're going to meet with, go out there and pray or do whatever they do. And his attitude was, come and join me. I'll pray for you too. Um, And so in our country, our country is, I don't know if you recognize it, but we are going like that, you know. And one of the guys who uh, tweeted and supported uh, Joe Kennedy was Donald Trump, which is kind of interesting. But in our country, we are going like that. We really are. We have two different directions going. And so persecution may come. If you guys ever want to look at it, you can go to something called the World Watch List. And this is what uh, they watch what happens throughout our world. And they say this. Um, Last year, in 2018, there were 3,066 Christians who were killed. Uh, There were 1,252 who were abducted. 1,023 were raped. 793 churches were attacked. One in 12 Christians now live in countries where it's illegal to be a Christian. Um, This year, they estimate there will be 215 million Christians who will face significant persecution in the world. Um, We know this, that persecution will come, and sometimes it even comes within people that you know, right? It, It doesn't have to come from outside, but... We, we see a world that is continuing to fall apart and splinter. And we know that part of that, I was a teacher for 37 years, and I always think this, no wonder so many things are happening in our, in our schools. If you remove God and you remove the word from something, you remove Christ from something, you know what happens to it. You know, and that's kind of what we're doing to the world that we live in. We're removing Christ from our world. And for us, we have to make sure the world does not remove Christ because we have to be his presence wherever we are. And we have to be willing to stand for that no matter what people say. When I was at Big Bear High School, I was called into the office and told at one point, You're gonna t- you need to take your Bible off your desk. And I just said, I won't. I know what my rights are, and I know I have the right to keep my Bible on my desk, and I'm not taking it off. Uh, when I was coaching, a bunch of our kids found the Lord, and so then they put Bible verses on the back of their um, sweats. And we weren't sponsored by the district. They bought the sweats themselves, so they put their own Bible verse on the back. Well, then we got to where we were pretty good, and we ended up uh, going to um, 
CIF and we were finished third. And so they, the paper had taken, the San Bernardino Sun had taken a picture of us and they want us to turn around and they took a picture of us with our Bible verses on our back. And this was right before we were gonna go to the state meet. My son Ryan was running with us and Ryan was doing really well. And they called me in and they said, you cannot run with those uh, track sweats. And I had said to them, well, you guys didn't buy them, number one. Number two, they're the kids. They bought them themselves. They put their own verses on them. Uh, we're going to wear them. And they said, well, then you won't be going. And I had said to our district, well, that'll be sad because Ryan is favored to win the state title. And I guess the paper will want to talk to me about that. And I guess I'll have to do an interview with them. <laughs> and, and so... Uh, then they, I, I was called into the office three other times that week. And then finally, by the time, um, and I said, I have some lawyers from Orange County who are Christian lawyers. They'll come up and talk to you guys. It's well within our rights to do it. And, and the district ended up saying, okay, you guys can go. Uh, but here's what happens to us as believers. The world is always going to tell us that following Jesus is not okay. But following him is the only way. It's the only way. So let's pray for the world we live in. Because um, we're done. We're over. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for your word that is the thing that leads us and guides us, Lord. Uh, help us to be, Lord, pure in heart. Help us to be peacemakers, Lord. Help us not to be afraid of persecution when it comes. Lord, help us be your hands to those who need a hand. Lord, let your light shine through us in, in such a way that people see that and give you the glory. And we thank you for this word, Lord. We thank you for your words. And we ask that you move in our hearts and change our lives. In your name we pray, amen.